0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Bootstrap Founder. Today, I'm talking to Joe Masilati, the founder of Rails Devs, a reverse job platform for Ruby on Rails developers. We talk about monetizing an open source project, building in public, and marketing yourself and your business both to employers and developers. Here's Joe. What I love about your founder journey, your journey as an entrepreneur, is that it starts with a spreadsheet that is really cool. Uh, So can you take me back to the day when you first created this magical document and what you were doing at the time and why that inconspicuous spreadsheet ended up jumpstarting this amazing indie business of yours?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. So I have been a Rails consultant for uh, going on three years now. Actually, I'll hit my three-year anniversary in, in just a month. And have been doing Rails for like over a decade and got to the point where like, I was pretty solid with my, my freelance business. And I had too many leads, like great problem to have had too many people that wanted to work with me and couldn't offer them anyone to like anywhere to get help. There wasn't really this place where I could say, oh yeah, here's, you know, some folks who are looking for freelance work. So I kind of just started asking my network almost entirely on Twitter uh, do you do Rails freelancing? If if so, when are you available? And just kind of collected those names onto uh, a list with their email addresses. And the next person that reached out to me, I was like, hey, sorry, you know, too busy right now, but if anyone on this list, look good, list looks good, I'll happily introduce you to them. And within like two weeks, someone had a new freelance gig. Within a month, someone had a full-time uh, gig. It was like all immediately almost... It was seeing success and people getting hired and not just for freelance stuff, but for full-time gigs as well. And I was like, okay, this little Google spreadsheet that I'm sharing around, like there's something here that I think there might be a business here. And I want to say like three or four weeks after that first entry to that spreadsheet, I started writing the first line of what will eventually become Rails devs.
0: That's so cool. You have the magic touch or you just know (laughs) the right people. That's probably what it is. It was okay. a good combo,
1: a good combo of the two, because the, the <laughs> folks that I were recommending were um, he's been hired twice through it already. Jared Wright, Jared White, who um, is local to Portland with me, uh, creator of Bridgetown, uh, is working with two different clients that he found that found him both through RailsDev. So you know wow. he's like my big success story for the freelance side of things, and he was the first one and one of the more recent ones to get hired through it. So it's like knowing all of those folks that are getting involved and, and spreading the word on Twitter has been has been awesome.
0: Yeah, I bet bet it does. It's nothing better than having actual like an impact in somebody else's life twice. I think mm-hmm. that's just quite intense. Well, yeah. one thing that I that I wonder always when I see people building marketplaces, particularly bootstrapping marketplaces, is like, do, do all you a sadist? Like, do do you like to kind of punish yourself? Because I always <laughs> feel like marketplaces super hard to, you know, to. Uh, just bootstrap both sides at the same yeah. time. You have clients, you have customers, you kind of need to connect them. Mm-hmm. W- was that intentional from the start? Like, did you know this has to be a marketplace? And and how did you go about this?
1: Yeah, so this is my third marketplace. All right. <laughs> and uh, the first one was what my full-time job was before I went freelance. We were connecting uh, folks who were looking for a specific type of beer to bars that were selling that type of beer. And obviously, a very, very clear marketplace. You can't have one without the other. My second foray into that was a board game event matching system. So, like, you you find a, your local area, what are the board games that are happening now? Um, needed buy in from the businesses, the places that were hosting, along with the players that were going. It just started to get legs, and then COVID hit. So, like, that kind of totally fell off. But I pretty much every time I leave one of these marketplaces, I'm like, I'm never doing a marketplace again. <laughs> like, every time I leave, I'm like, B2B all the way, maybe even B2C, but like, I am not doing a marketplace again. And then Rails Devs came about, and I was like, no, this isn't a marketplace. This is just a list of developers, and businesses will find them. It's not a marketplace. It's just businesses getting hired on one side, you know, and hiring on the other. It's not, a mar- et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> until I finally realized I'm. You know i'm building a marketplace but i think that the difference for this time for me was that once i recognized that i was actually building you know a marketplace here i leaned in entirely to one side of that business so if you popped around the website if you've if you've seen anything on, me on twitter i very rarely talk to the business side of things i'm always talking about the developer experience getting hired how it's easier to find new contract jobs, how junior juniors can get their first role, I'm leaning 100% into the developer side of the marketplace. And this has really helped, A, bootstrap it, like it pretty much solved the chicken or the egg problem, like the cold start problem, but it also really helps me hone my marketing and my branding for the business. Very rarely will you hear me talking about, oh, this business hired three devs, you know, yay, I'll, I'll, I'll post some screenshots of revenue, sure, because it's exciting, but everything that i build and that i make is all about these developers just having a better hiring experience the, the initial problem i'm trying to solve and i think that that's really helped in a you know like i said the branding but b really figure out that marketplace problem where i'm flooding one side of the marketplace where you have to if you're a business trying to hire a rails developer it's silly to not be on my platform it's like it's the biggest Already in just a year, it's the biggest amount of developers that are looking for Rails jobs specifically available online. Like, why would you not use it? And I think that that's that's really helped to get a, like a good a good kickstart for it.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you ever consider doing the opposite of that, like focusing almost exclusively on the business side, on the clients, or not on people looking for developers?
1: Yeah. So I considered it briefly, but I think that it was never really a starter for me because I had the spreadsheet to begin with. Like I had kind of the core of the business without any product, <laughs> just the business. Um, to begin with, why would I go and try and change that? And and the more I thought about it, I was like, if I did it again, would I have leaned, leaned into the business side and maybe I'd have more businesses using it? And I say to myself, I don't think so, because you can have this marketplace with a thousand developers and one business and still still make someone's, still change someone's life. You can still change one or two or three people's lives. If you have a hundred hiring businesses and two developers, you're not doing anything. That's that's not a problem. You're not solving a problem anymore because those businesses aren't going to find who they want in just two developers or three developers. So flooding one side of it and having the opportunity for the businesses to have kind of the pick of the litter, but still giving the developers that opportunity to sell themselves how they want to be sold and market themselves how so they want to be marketed is just in my mind a way better way to go about it
0: yeah definitely it kind of speaks to the indie hacker spirit you know yeah like you're you're yeah. on the side of the little guy you're trying to make this an experience <laughs> for the individual person trying to build something in their lives because most people freelancing either do it because they want to be doing some something else right either build their own business or just get their family through this weird pandemic and all these things or, you know, they, they want to build an agency. Like, there's always some other goal beyond freelancing, for, at least for most people. So it's nice to see you enabling those people, whereas companies, you know, they have their own goals and they might be rather repetitive, rather boring in many ways. It's nice to see you leading towards that side. Um, how do you monetize this? Or rather, have, have you thought of m- multiple different angles at monetizing and then chosen one in particular? So I went through a huge
1: exercise. I think that the Notion doc is actually still public or the GitHub discussion. We could link to it if I can dig it up where I decided that, okay, there are businesses now that want to hire through this platform. And there are, I think it was like 150 developers already, like, you know, a month or two in. What's the way to monetize this so it's sustainable for that I can continue to work on it and continue to make it better and actually become a real thing. And my three options for monetization were ads and sponsorships. Which felt really good because I didn't have to worry about hounding any businesses it'd be free for businesses and but then I kind of realized that I'm always going to be chasing that next ad or that next business and I really didn't want to be in the business of ads to be like it just wasn't appealing to me the second was to monetize the developers so this would be something where developers could pay a dollar or ten dollars or a hundred dollars to boost their profile to the top of the results or maybe put a you know a yellow border around it, you know, all the, the fancy, <laughs> style. yeah, <laughs> yeah cool. exactly. Yeah. Yellow background, <laughs> um, maybe, maybe a blue background for $150. And it just felt so wrong, uh, that I'm monetizing the folks who are, who need the help, who need the help getting hired. And what I ended up deciding on was option three, essentially asking the people who have the money to pay for me to provide the service these businesses are hiring developers for a hundred, 150, 200 K, right? Like that's a ton of, of revenue being or money being passed around. If I took a, just the tiny bit off the top of that, not the developer is getting less, but I'm just getting a share of it. All of a sudden I'm solving a real problem. I'm making enough money that this could become a real thing for me, maybe even full-time in the future. And that developer has their life changed by an opportunity that they would not have gotten elsewhere. To me, it's a win-win-win. And, and it's as you always say, I, I'm going to butcher this quote, but uh, what is it? A business is an idea that, is, that makes someone money? <laughs>
0: Rephrase for me. Yeah. That's pretty true. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's a project, right? It's some, something that could have been a hobby, but it's, some, someone's making money of it, so it's a business. <laughs> that's kind of what it is. That is awesome. I, I love this. So is this kind of a subscription model where people pay like a fixed fee? Is that what it is for you?
1: Yeah, it's a subscription model and a hiring fee. So Ah. businesses have to pay $300 a month to be part of the platform. And this is where you get full access to the developer database, where you're able to message folks on the platform, you get full access to the website, no restrictions. And that is a really good way for me to vet these businesses. Um, $300 is a lot of money to just like put your credit card down and try something, you know? So every single person that comes through, I'm, I'm emailing with them. Sometimes I hop on the phone with them. I'm figuring out what they're looking for. Are we the right fit? Before they even can pay, I'm vetting these folks. And I'm not vetting them on terms of like, is their business a quality of business? Because I'm not in the position to do that. But I'm vetting them in terms of if we we're a right fit for each other. Once they pay that $300 a month, they have access for as long as that subscription is a- is active to, like I said, message any developer on the site. They have access to all the fancy searching tools and filtering algorithms and stuff that has been built into the app over the past year. And then if they hire someone, they have to pay a 10% hiring fee off from their salary. So if they hire a freelancer, that's cool, no extra fees. But if they hire a full-time developer, uh, let's say for $100K, they're required to pay Rails devs. $10,000. And that's significant. That's not only like significant in terms of each hire <laughs> significant substantially improves, you know, my outlook and my uh, runway for this. But it's also way less than what a traditional recruiter would pay or would charge. Recruiters in the tech space charge 20, 30, 40% sometimes. So I kind of fit that middle ground where it's great for that that business that is willing to get their hands dirty and put in a little work a little more work to save a ton of money but doesn't want to do it all through like you know linkedin cold messaging so to speak
0: right yeah it sounds like particularly like with 300 bucks a month for for a company that hires a lot of developers yeah you know that's like rounding error comparatively you know to the salaries and then saving almost 20 percent on the the hiring fee too that is very lucrative. Sounds, sounds awesome. So you're doing a lot of vetting on that side. Do you do mm-hmm. vetting on the side of the developers as well?
1: No, I do. I do zero vetting on the side of the developers. And I am upfront with that, with the businesses. Like you are in, I'm in charge of gathering some profiles of people for you. I'll help you narrow them down. And, you know, maybe I'll uh, send you a list of folks that are, are good, potential good fits, but I'm assuming that what they write in their profiles is the truth. And I'm not going to go in an interview for you. I'm not going to go and and like read resumes for you. I'm not a recruiter. And that's not the business that I'm building. If these developers are consistently getting feedback that they didn't meet expectations, I will take action on that. But what I do help out is that any developer who is maybe not getting the results they want or expect or aren't getting reached out to or feel like they could be doing a little better on the platform, I work with them one-on-one to kind of tweak their profile. And it's not so much resume rewriting as it is self-branding and self-marketing. <laughs> like, it, it's so crazy how all it comes back to marketing, how you have your little title and your little description on who you are as a developer. That's what someone's going to click. You you have to think about you showing up in search results like Google. What is going to make a business click to hire you? And I work on that with a lot of developers individually. And anyone who wants to do that, definitely send me a DM or an email. Happy to help anyone. It. I've helped a ton of people do that. Um, A few of the folks have actually gotten their their first job through that, which is super exciting. And it doesn't work for everyone, but it definitely helps. And and that's like as much of the even not even to use the term, but like the vetting process that is involved on the developer side.
0: Yep. So sounds like a great opportunity for an info product. Like this could be like a thirty-minute course or an ebook or something. You know, like that that kind of information probably gets stale rather quickly in the moving world. But still. Right, it's information that people could use. I'm I'm happy you're doing this because I, I honestly I love this for for the mere fact that you kind of let the developers run loose, do their thing, you know, and you keep a pretty close eye on the companies in, in that relationship from a developer's perspective, and I guess also from a business's perspective. I really like this because you make make sure that the, the people get hired by quality companies, but there is a very diverse range of people of developers that people can choose from, that companies can actually hire. That, that is nice. It's a, it's a great great job board. And I think I that now I finally understand why you call it the reverse job board. <laughs> yeah. Because it's very different from the traditional company-centric, like uh, hiring manager-centric uh, platforms that I see all over the place. Is Was that a consequence of the spreadsheet? Or is that something that you thought this is going to be different than anything else in the market? It was,
1: I think it was both. It, it was a consequence of the spreadsheet in that it proved, the spreadsheet proved some sort of product market fit. That having a list of a very small niche of developers, Ruby on Rails developers, and presenting that to people that are hiring Ruby on Rails developers, there's a, there's obviously something there that I hit on. But when I set out to create Rails devs, I didn't want to just do a job board because A, it's been done, and it didn't feel unique enough and I wasn't excited about it. But it also didn't feel like I was doing anything new or, or interesting to these developers that they couldn't get elsewhere. So the reverse job board came about as, the more I dug into it, the more I researched the recruiting process, the more I just heard horror stories of people going through three-hour interviews, eight-hour interviews, 20-hour take-home tests. I was like, this is broken. This is so broken right now in the tech space. How can we flip the script and give more power to the developers themselves getting hired. And, and that's really the, the single value that I've built all of Rails Devs off of. It's how can we empower the individual developer to have them find their next job on their own terms. And, and that's how the reverse job board was built. That's how, why you can say what type of role you're looking for. I don't ask you if you're a senior developer, I ask you what level role you're looking for. It completely changes the script. Mm-hmm. It shows what you're looking for next, not where you're currently at or what you consider yourself or what your current title is. Um, and it's also why I removed compensation entirely from the website. I don't want developers to sell themselves short by saying they charged 50 bucks an hour yeah. if they could be getting $75 an hour or $150 an hour or a $10,000 project from these, from these companies. And it's all centered around that. And it's all centered around having these organic conversations between the developer and the person who's going to hire them with no one in the middle. And, and that's really where it all stemmed from. And that's what the features are that exist. And you know, that's, how yeah. it, that's how it's continued being built.
0: Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you about this. Like, how do you prioritize for which side you build features? But it sounds like you might be skewed quite heavily towards one of them, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I've had the, the problem of like, well, no, I, I take that back. Compensation was almost entirely a request from the businesses. The businesses wanted to be able to sort and filter by developer rates. I was like, yeah, let's do it. Sounds great. Added it, had a bunch of people work on it, was you know live within a week, and almost immediately was like, oh, crap, this sucks. This sucks for developers because they're only going to sell themselves short. And it was removed within like two weeks after that. There's a whole post on GitHub discussions about why I removed it. And even if you create your profile, you can it links still to it, just because I want to make sure people are aware. Um, so I think that that's proven, and I've done a couple other small things, but if there's ever a disagreement between is this better for the developer or better for the business, I'm going to lean strongly towards the developer side. And, you know, there's other things that will benefit the business that don't hurt the developer that I'm happy to add. But if there's ever that conflict, the developer is always going to win.
0: Makes perfect sense. And honestly, you're building features that add value to the whole pr- platform quite visibly. By the way, mm-hmm. I watched you uh, build your referral system in public <laughs> um, in, a, in a live stream recently. I found that very interesting. And I have two questions about this. First off, how is building software in public? Do you enjoy it? Is that something that, that is actually something, yeah, not not just a marketing thing, but something yeah. that you really like? And two, what parts of a, of your software, of your system itself do you need to build yourself? Because referral systems are notoriously one of these things that, you know, like authentication and all these kind of things that developers like to build, but probably shouldn't. So what's your perspective (laughs) on that?
1: I'll start with the second question first. I'm probably going to end up building the referral system out and then realize I need some crazy feature and then rip it all out and add a third-party library. <laughs> but <laughs> well, until at you like already it, know. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> that's why I'm not letting anyone else build it because I, I feel bad ripping out their code in the future. I'm doing it myself. Um, when I get there, I'll know and I'll change it. But for now, it's as you watched in the live stream, it's as simple as setting a cookie and adding a model to the database when someone signs up based on that cookie. I'm not getting crazy with it until I need to. Uh to answer your first question, do I enjoy building features in public? Do I enjoy coding in public? I love it. It gives me so much energy and motivation. I I got my start, my real development start, at a consultancy shop where I was doing pair programming eight hours a day, five days a week. <laughs> like it was it was called Pivotal Labs at the time, it's now changed a bunch and kinda of like what ThoughtBot is these days or, or test double even. But I thrive in that environment of having someone to bounce ideas off constantly. And I don't really get that as a solo developer anymore. Yeah, I can pair with people every now and then, but I don't have any coworkers, right? My one-and-a-half-year-old isn't, isn't coding with me yet, so <laughs> not <laughs> not yet, at least. So the, the live streaming and the building in public, I, I kind of feel like I have that second or third or hundredth pair of eyes watching me and, and being able to ask ideas and, and bounce stuff off of, if you followed through the Twitter chat on that chat, I used and you know throw in air quotes, it was just the replies to the live stream. Uh, Marco was in there and Andrew was in there, and they were both debugging with me through Twitter chat. And it was a terrible interface to do that, but I was like, they were helping me fix issues through Twitter, you know, replies yeah, to a tweet crazy. that I like, you know, and and things that are way more complicated than just syntax errors or like, oh, you forgot a, a semicolon at the end of that. More things like. Oh, here are the docs for this method. You're actually passing in the wrong parameter order. Stuff like that, where I was like, "Holy crap, you're totally right. I didn't nest the parameters the right way." Thank you, Marco. Like crazy stuff like that, and and that's really where I get a lot of energy and a lot of a lot of motivation from.
0: Yeah, I bet. I for a developer, I think building in public is one of the most literal things that he can can do it right like for writer for a marketer building in public is more like an abstract term where you kind of build something in public but for coder you can literally build your software in public and have this incredible feedback loop like you just described that is so incredibly tight it's it's real time with other experts that are not even paid or interested in finding compensation they just like helping that's really cool I I love this um the do you have, did you do you ever consider that this might be problematic and I mean not just like writing code uh I I I mean like building in public in general because I, you know I'm a big fan of building <laughs> in public but yeah. I also want to be realistic about it that there might be certain drawbacks depending on what you do did you ever encounter anything like this or do you do you protect yourself against something when what would that be
1: Yeah great question so I think that building code in public, in from my opinion, with the small exception of leaking a uh, API key or something that's like secret, like a credential, to me, I see zero risk in building code in public, almost entirely because the code base that I'm contributing to is open source. Rails dev is, the whole code base is open source. The Only thing that are secret are the credentials that connect to, you know, uh, my database key and, and Heroku and all that stuff. So if I am writing proprietary information or a proprietary algorithm, it's going to be on GitHub in a few hours anyway. There's very little risk in me building in public. Again, the exception being leaking a credential or like command tabbing into my email client or something like that. But that's just poor behavior. (laughs) Um, But I think that building in public in the more general sense of building a business in public carries way more risks with it that I'm starting to realize as I slowly make Rails devs into a thing that is becoming more and more of my 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 full-time income. And it's letting go of trade secrets when they are the core to your business. A lot of what I do on Rails devs is public. I'd say that 90% of what I do on Rails devs is public. I have uh, the code base is open source. All my metrics are public. My analytics are public through Fathom. My, dis- like, Business decisions are all done through GitHub discussions and people can weigh in on them and, and, and comment and, and reply and, and all that stuff. But there are definitely things that I don't keep on those that I do like to keep quiet. Following uh, Zero to Sold, oh, very following good. Zero to Sold, I have an <laughs> operations manual, right? Where I have, when, when a new business signs up, I send them an email. I have a copy paste template that I am not gonna share with the world. When a business kind of ghosts me and says that they're not going to pay the hiring fee, I have a process that I follow. Those are the things that are very core to my business that, A, I don't think people will find interest in, but I also, that's what keeps the business alive. Mm-hmm. And the email and support that I do, those are the things that I'm not going to make public. And those are the things that are what makes Rails devs Rails devs, that it's, that it's me running this thing and it's my personality and, and you know me, Joe, that is not going to be made into a you know public doc or anything like that so that's where i draw the line with with it all
0: you just turned this conversation into a building public masterclass, and i'm very <laughs> grateful for that because like finding that line first off understanding that there is a line that not everything should be transparent but transparency doesn't mean complete transparency particularly not in front of your competitors which is everybody on twitter potentially but there there's more to gain by sharing certain things than not sharing them. And there is more to gain by not sharing certain things that can be shared but probably shouldn't. So it's great that you drew this line. And I love the idea that uh, your process, your internal structure, your procedures, the things that you set up to keep the business humming, like the engine humming of your business, that these as the lifeblood of your business are your trade secret. And that's the stuff you don't talk about or you don't share in the specificity that would allow others to duplicate it. Right, that's that's what you usually see when businesses who used to be very transparent reduce their transparency. They just add a, another layer of you know diffusion of abstraction. They don't talk about the specifics anymore, but they do mention that right. They do mention that they have this particular process, or they do this, or they don't do that. You know that kind of information still gets out. Transistor is a good example. Mm-hmm. Transistor FM by by Justin Jackson and John Buddha. This business that used to share everything and now it's just you know talking more about general things, but is still sharing. And I love that you're you're on the same path. Um, good to know, and also good to know that you know, because you will encounter moments where you might overshare a little and then over time, you know, have to reduce it or talk about things differently. But I, I love the fact that you already have this, you know, in your... In your visor, you already see <laughs> where, where this is heading. That's great. I, I love this. And I love that um, you take openness to a new level because many software-as-a-service businesses or generally software-enabled businesses, like a, a job board would probably count very much as both. I don't know. Depends. Um, Many of these businesses are not open source. They don't release the source code for their platform. But you do. And I love the fact that there are forked versions of Rails devs out there making people money connecting people in other fields of technology or even other complete other industries with people that they need for the for making business things happen how did that come about was uh, how did you how did you set that up and do you monetize this like how do you approach this in terms of a as a business choice because you spend time on it so you know better better give you something in return
1: yeah i think there's two big questions there that i want to dive into it's why is Rails devs open source to begin with? Mm-hmm. And then how do these other businesses that are forking Rails devs, how am I involved, if at all? So the first question is kind of a silly answer. Uh, working in Rails, you know, day in and day out, I am always, always wanna contribute to open source. I always wanna like crack and open the Rails source code and like add a new method, but I'm always so intimidated by these kind of lower level framework type things, framework type gems. So I did a bunch of Googling and there was no real products that were open source that I could find that weren't like ginormous things like, you know, dev.2 is, you know, open source built on forum and um, a number of others. There was no like entry level, small, medium sized projects that were that were products. So I was like, you know what? Let's make Rails devs open source. What's the worst that could happen? I could always close source it later once I, once it takes off. And I'm so glad that I did that because I've gotten... 80 something people to contribute to the project, like a ridiculous amount of people in a year. And I think 20 of them, if maybe 15, it's their first open source contribution ever. Aww. That's,
0: so that's nice. huge. That's, that's, that's awesome. more exciting,
1: right? That's more exciting to yeah. me than actually getting people hired sometimes. Cause it's like, I just brought someone into the world of open source by reviewing a pull request. That's all it took. But it actually took a whole year of building out a product that is boring and the technology isn't exciting on that is open source to get there. So one of my big things with Rails devs is that the code is kind of offensively boring. There's nothing exciting going on. There's barely any like front end JavaScript, even Hotwire with Rails 7. It's all boring Rails straight out of the box, like convention over configuration stuff, which makes it really easy to contribute to because you kind of know where everything is and how it all works if you're a Rails developer. And even if you're not a Rails developer, some a couple Python devs have contributed over the year over the year too, wow. which is cool. Cool. So I really love that. I really love that I'm able to contribute back to the community by saying like, oh, how does one do, uh, you know, to integrate devise with this other third-party library? Here's my source code. Here is the code that you could look at. Here's the pull request. You can share that with whoever who you want. It's MIT licensed. Copy paste it. Do whatever you want with it. You find a bug, maybe contribute back. That's all I ask. So. That's been really cool, and I, and I w- definitely would not change that for anything. But to answer your second question, forks. How do I deal with forks and, and, and clones and copycats and stuff? This is where things get interesting, right? Copycat of Rails devs, copycats of Rails devs are encouraged. I have even in there, if you wanna do Rails devs for your own technology, your own sector, follow these instructions you'll start here and at the end you'll deploy to Heroku and you'll be live in production in like a couple hours, depending on your level of, you know, skill there. And to my knowledge, there are about seven or eight forks of rails devs that are live in production right now. And they, they range. There's one for blockchain developers. There's one for JavaScript developers. There's one for private home chefs, which is really cool. There's one that's starting in in the solar industry that's coming out pretty soon from another local Portland dev, uh, Really cool stuff and most of these people reach out to me and they say, hey, would love to pick your brain on this, want to do a fork of Rails devs, like can you answer a couple of questions? So we do all that, we answer a couple of questions and I say, oh, by the way, if you want to do this more often, I offer an advisory style engagement, whatever you want to call it, where we can chat for a few hours a week or a month, whatever works, for a small revenue share. So this is what I'm doing with a lot of these businesses now. I help them get deployed. Some of them I write a little bit of code for. Some of them I only do support. Some of them I only do marketing. Some of them I do only like a call, one call a month. So it varies. And I share, they share revenue with me. And this is obviously a big bet on my end because I'm not getting paid for probably about a year for any of these businesses. And I'm putting in a lot of time and effort in making sure that they can get deployed and they can get live and ask me all these questions. But in the long run... There's a double double benefit to this. The first one is obvious. I make more money by only by just helping people without having to write code and put in time and trade time for money. But two, there are now more code bases online that are built on Rails. And that's awesome. If they don't open source it, that's fine, but they see in the bottom that it was written by, you know, forked from Joe and they can see the code base. So having more Rails code out there in the wild in my mind is is better for everyone.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. This is like all of this is such an open source kind of long term perspective mindset that I'm I'm just blown away by this, you know, because <laughs> you could open source is notoriously hard to monetize for for everybody. You see, like even MongoDB and all, all these rather sizable projects have trouble. Uh, just justifying monetizing it and then doing it in a way that doesn't kind of mess things up for people that are not too big or not too small, like somewhere in the middle, right? It's always hard to find these, uh, like a a continuous spectrum of serving these kind of people. But I love your approach. It's like, okay, let's just... Let's just give it to people. Let let me give people even more of my time to make this good, which I think is also a rationale somewhere in there, right? You want their platforms to be the best they can possibly be, thus increasing that chance to succeed, and then eventually, potentially, hopefully, monetizing. That is so cool. And I love, of course, I'm not a Rails dev. I I come from the JavaScript and Elixir uh, background, but... Um, I do have the pickaxe in my library, and I uh, was there a couple—well, must have been like eight, nine years ago—in uh, in that community for a little bit. So I I do understand how important it is to keep projects like this going into the world and allowing people to see that this technology is still relevant is getting better you know with every year and allows people not just from the technology perspective but but also from the just the openness of the community around it to do things and make money of them and improve their lives that is just awesome and you enabling this with this particular method of allowing a fork and then monetizing kind of around it in the future yeah, yeah that is really smart like i would have expected some kind of flat licensing fee or you know a, a revenue share with a minimum or something right like where, where people try them immediately monetize something but i see you playing the long game the the infinite game really and i can only applaud you for this this is really cool
1: thanks yeah and the the revenue share terms are, are what i think are pretty beneficial to both parties it's a certain number, It's a certain amount of time, depending on the agreement, after their second customer. So what that means is that they can spend all the time that they want building and making this thing perfect, and, and we can work together, but it's not until they actually prove that they have fit, that they've actually sold to their second customer, Does my like does the clock start ticking on how much revenue I receive. And it works out really well because it means that they don't feel pressured to launch slow, so I make less, so they lose less money to me. And they're not pressured to launch fast, so they feel obligated that I get my revenue share. They can work at their own pace, and when it when it takes off, if it does, it's then the then the clock starts.
0: Wow. Yeah. Well, you are very respectful with your fellow developers. I really really appreciate that, and they probably appreciate it much more than me. because <laughs> That's just really nice. Um, you were you were talking about that this is currently still I wouldn't call it a side project, but a part time <laughs> project. I said right. right? Yeah,
1: it's a uh, uh, one of the many businesses under under my umbrella.
0: <laughs> so how is that going? Where where is this going? Do you yeah. intend to you know full time this eventually?
1: I don't have any. I don't have concrete plans to full time this in the next year. Hmm. Okay. I don't know where this will go in two years or three years or four years. Uh, as you can go find online, it, it, it went from zero to 150k in 12 months. Like it is, it is making substantial income for me right now. Um, but I'm also still doing a lot of work in the Turbo Native space and kind of my more traditional consulting and advisory type work. And for now, I'm still playing both. I'm still I'm still working on both. I'm still doing workshops for Turbo Native. I'm still doing you know pair programming sessions. I'm still consulting. I'm still advising. Uh, rails devs is at the point where I can kind of, it's definitely not just like sitting there and and letting it simmer, but I don't have to do as much active work to get new businesses anymore. I can tweet about it every, every once in a while. I can build a new feature every once in a while. I can send a couple cold, cold emails and get a client and get a new customer or two. It's at the ideal state right now where it's not growing. It's not shrinking, but it's bringing in substantial income every month or so. And that's really perfect to me. Because I feel like if I want to go any bigger than that right now, I'd have to invest way more time and money into it. And then I might I worry that it wouldn't become as fun as it is right now. Right, right now, I only deal with 10 businesses at most at a time. And that's all I really need to be sustainable. Business comes for a month or two and then they leave because they hired someone. That's a win in everyone's book. And if I am dealing with 50 businesses at a time for five times the revenue, is it worth it? I probably need a whole team. And... I wanna keep this solo for as long as possible. So for right now, I don't have plans to 10X it. I don't have plans to make it my full time. I have plans to let it continue to grow organically as it's growing now. And in a year, we'll talk again, and maybe my opinion will have changed, but maybe my uh, my forks will bring in bring in more revenue. <laughs> you never know. Uh, but that's where I think about it now, and it's it's still really fun and exciting even a year later. And I want to keep it that for, for 10 years. That's my goal.
0: That that sounds like a good plan. I, I love this kind of um, very sustained and non-hyper growth approach to building a lifestyle business in the best sense of the word. right? Yeah. The, the, a lifestyle that you want, that you enjoy, that doesn't stress you out, where you don't have the managerial responsibilities of managing a team. That's something that I'm currently experimenting with because I'm feeling... It's time in my life to involve other people, and and it's enjoyable, but it is work. And it's it's not I can do whatever I want. Well, I still can most of the time. (laughs) You know, like it's there. There are responsibilities, and I understand that not not wanting these is a perfectly valid approach to business. Now, since you're saying, um, this is not gonna turn into anything major, but it's also not like going down, right? It's, it's not not much up, not much down, it's just uh, where it is. Have you ever considered selling the business for a significant multiple?
1: Yeah, I, I talk about this with my partner pretty often, just in general in terms of like, what what's the magic number? What's like the life-changing number that one of us could sell one of our things for that would that would be worth it, and that number is substantial, right? Because you think about 150k a year, three years, even if it doesn't grow, that's starting to get substantial money. That's that's full income practically. What what is that number? We have an idea in mind, and if someone were to come to me and say, "Hey, here's that number right here. Will you take it?" I probably still say no. <laughs> so. I think that right now I'm still so excited and passionate about this that I can't possibly think of selling it in the near future. There's always a number for these things. If someone came to me and said, hey, here's $25 million for Rails devs, I'd be silly not to take that. But that's not going to happen because the business isn't worth $25 million right now. It might be in five years or in 10 years, but it's not right now. And... What I like and what I enjoy right now is growing it and being the face of it and talking about it online and continuing to build it and grow it in public. And if I sell it, I'll have other things to work on. But right now I'm pretty passionate about this and that's what I want to keep.
0: Th- that's a that's a great perspective like there there's nothing wrong with keeping a business and there's nothing wrong with selling a business or anything you want to do as an entrepreneur I mean even like quitting your business is an option yeah. although you might just as well want to sell it but yeah if, if you are passionate for the thing that you, you do and you have um a wish for how you want your life to look like. And if you love giving workshops, if you love doing consulting as well, because it gets you, you know, involved in other people's things that always new, always something challenging. And it's not just keeping a thing running. Well, then yeah. you don't need to sell. And if you ever get bored of something, if you ever get, uh, want something different or want to level up, build something even bigger and need the funds to do it. That's a good opportunity to sell your business. And exactly. if it's not, well, then it's not. <laughs> let's let's have a let's let's talk a bit about uh, the the workshops and the Turbo Native. I from what I understand and I'm you can probably tell I'm not very active in the the rails and people who made rails and now run businesses that use Turbo Native in their client space. But um talk talk to me a bit about that particular technology and the work that you do around it.
1: Yeah. So Turbo Native is a way to take your Ruby on Rails website, your mobile website, and kind of shove it into an iPhone app. And you can deploy this app to the App Store. You can deploy it to Google Play if you have it on Android. And what it does is it renders your web views. It hits your server. It renders your HTML, your CSS, your JavaScript inside of a native kind of like frame. So you can have like a native tab bar, native navigation, but you have all the benefits of web inside of your mobile app. What this enables is really small teams to do crazy productive things. So you think about Basecamp and Hey, the 37signals folks—they have really small, relatively dev teams for the number of uh, requests and the number of customers that they have. Both of their apps are built on Turbo Native. Their mobile website is shoved into an iPhone app with Turbo Native, and and that's their iOS app. And it goes a really long way because you're not building this like transparent trans-compilation er, uh, language, where you kind of have like like a, what's that one called? The one by Google, but like Dart, or is it called Dart? Yeah,
0: transpires, I guess, yeah, Dart. Yeah, is, so uh... like,
1: Dart's the one from Google, I don't know, whatever it is, you can cut this. <laughs> it It's not a thing where you're writing, you know, a new language just to write your mobile apps. You're actually leveraging all of the existing logic and views and, and, and design that you already have on the website but you're showing it on a native screen and you have hooks into like fully native screens if you wanted to. So if you wanted to integrate with like the contact book or native maps or push notifications, you have hooks into doing that that drops you down into native code Swift or Kotlin, depending on your platform. So what I do is I work with clients that have a Ruby on rails website and they want to get in the app store for whatever reason. Usually it's push notifications and they come to me and they say, hey, Joe, we have this mobile this mobile website. Can you put it into the app store? And I say, sure. It'll be two months and it'll cost you this much money. Or it'll take three months or, or seven weeks is my record, actually. <laughs> and wow. I do everything for them. I write the Rails code that's needed to work with Turbo Native. I build the iPhone app for them. I get all their assets ready. I deploy to the app store. I write their copy for the marketing. Pretty much they just sign off on a bunch of things. And we're good to go. So that's what I do. That's like my bread and butter. What I've realized is that I'm very expensive for what I charge because it's so niche. I'm like one of the only few people that do it that not everyone can afford that, which is fair. So what I'm doing now is I'm enabling individuals to learn how to do Turbo Native on their own, which is exactly what this workshop is that I'm actually hosting in from the recording. Three days from the recording, my first one of these which is a three hour hands-on interactive, like live coding workshop, where we go from like brand new Xcode project, brand new Rails app, to what you could in theory deploy to the app store in three hours. And you're gonna be able to leave that workshop with everything you need to know to like get your hands dirty and enough to be dangerous with Turbo Native. So you won't be able to, you know, copy and paste this thing into your production app, but you will be able to then make the tweaks you need to go and get that live.
0: In an ideal future, five years from now, yeah, would you rather be giving workshops or going down the Turbo Native style uh, rabbit hole, or would you want to be a solopreneur running a fully full-time SaaS business or something like that?
1: This is a question that I ask myself every month in some <laughs> in some shape or form, and I I, I give you pause because or I give pause because. It's always a struggle, an internal struggle with me. Right now, I can't think of doing anything else besides Rails devs. I wanna spend every waking minute working on Rails devs. And this workshop is like, oh, that's Thursday? I forgot about that, you know? <laughs> but last week when I was putting the final touches on the workshop and tweaking the UI of, of the demo app we're building and adding a really new native, awesome native screen, I was like, Rails devs? Psh- What is that? I want to be full-time turbo native workshop guy day in and day out. (laughs) So I think that my answer to you is I don't want to do one single thing for the rest of my life. I think that I get way too bored with individual things and I need variety in my life, my my life and my business, more importantly, that if I pigeonhole myself into one thing, I would get bored of it and burnt out and stop caring and probably stop working on it. So, having this balance of solopreneur, low-touch SaaS, along with high-touch consultancy, along with like middle-touch um, workshop or whatever, that's my sweet spot. And maybe those three things will change throughout my life and my career. But right now, that, that is perfect for me.
0: Yeah. Who knows what you're going to add to this or subtract from it at some point in the future. I think Daniel Vassella would be very happy with that approach, you know, because uh, it's a... It's many small bets. It's it's yeah. the idea of having different things, different kinds of things that you do. Low touch, high touch, time for money, you know, just money yeah. for time, like all, all <laughs> kinds of varieties somewhere in there. Uh, it's, it's really, really cool to see your reasoning about this because obviously there is no perfect path there might be a perfect path for you, but that is not for you to know until you walk it, right? So, And it's definitely not for me to understand before either. So I'm just really trying to figure out what your thought process is behind this because I know that so many founders struggle with this. The, the kind of what should I do? Where should I go? What should I not do? Like What are the things that are keeping me from reaching the other thing? But having a balance between things. And, and splitting your attention <laughs> almost like kind of a shiny objects uh, syndrome situation where there's always something that is more exciting i think that's perfectly fine honestly that's how i work too like i, I sometimes i write for days at a time and I just over the last couple of days I think I wrote three or four articles for, for the next couple of months because I thought I want to talk about these topics because I know I'm going to having interviews with these people around those days so I want to kind of push that in there as well and it, I was super excited and and today it's like no nah, I'm not going to write no I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. going to deal with the video stuff because that is also really cool and I want to do it I think well, too often are we pushed into you should only do one thing and do it right and do it forever, 50 years, get your watch and then you go into retirement, right? That's the, yeah. the perspective that is still pushed onto us even though it's very much unrealistic. So I'm glad to see what, what is going on for you. Okay, yeah, what, one question the, that I have. Oh, go, go please yeah,
1: go Yeah, one more thing on that. I, I think that you said it really well there. You kind of summarized a viewpoint that I have on it that following your passion doesn't mean following one thing forever, but it also doesn't mean following a passion for weeks or months. That could be your passion of the hour or your passion yeah. of the day. And leaning into that is when you're going to do your best work. It's when I do my best work. And when I try to fight that, when I say I have to write for three hours on Tuesday is when I write crap or I don't write at all. And I have three cups of coffee and I'm you know on my on Instagram the rest of the day or whatever. <laughs> like, it's when I follow my passion and I say, oh, I have this great idea for an article. And I wake up at 5 a.m. and I write that from start to finish and it's published at 7 a.m. That's when I do my best work.
0: Yeah, creative work knows no timeboxing. Okay, right, it, it happens real. happens when when it happens, and hopefully you have a, a pen and paper or an ocean doc or something <laughs> to yell into. Hopefully with a recording function. Otherwise you're just yelling into a phone. But you know it's 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 really important to to understand that creative work and that is coding too. Like on a, a very the other side of the brain level, that is creative work. Right, like if you if you come up with yeah, new algorithms, new modules or an, an extension for something that you think could actually be a new feature or whatever, also creative, right? Just as much as creating a new slide for your course or writing a new cold email. And it's kind of what I wanted to talk to you about because I saw over the last couple of days you've been talking about cold email and marketing. Yeah. And since you are entrenched in two very different spaces, like in the job board world and the, the course uh, or workshop creation world, did, do you find any overlap between these in terms of marketing or do you have a completely distinct approaches to this how do you market yourself and the things that you sell
1: great question the i have found little overlap in the marketing of these two products we'll call them rails dev the selling rails devs to businesses and selling my workshop or my consultancy work to businesses the the cold emailing that i'm doing now is almost exclusively to businesses that have posted interest or expressed interest, or posted a job on a job board and said, I'm looking for a Rails developer. Here's the job description. Those are people that I know are my target audience. I need a way to just get them to reply to me. If I can get them to reply to me, there's a good chance I can get them on to try Rails devs for at least a month. Those cold emails are where I'm really experimenting with sending. Uh, cold is interesting, but cold the word cold is interesting because they're very customized. They're, I'm, I'm finding the person's real name, their real email address, their Uh, The job description, I'm sending them five links to developers who like could be a good fit. Like I'm putting in 15, 25 minutes of work into each one of these emails. So it's still cold, but it's not automated. And that's something that I don't think I'll ever do. Marketing to other developers for the workshop and marketing to businesses for my Turbo Native work is practically 100% content marketing. It's me tweeting about Turbonative, building in public and releasing small open source libraries. It's being a maintainer of the library itself and yet having my name in there and commit access and stuff. It's blogging about it. It's writing tutorials on it. It's my newsletter that I talk about Turbonative almost every single month. It's all of that stuff to generate inbound leads. I rarely, if ever, will reach out to companies and be like, hey, do you want a Turbonative app? Because odds are they don't. If they do, they probably know who I am at this point, and they probably either don't want to talk work with me for whatever reason or I'm too expensive and that's fine, so I let everything with that side of my business become inbound, and everything with rails devs or that isn't you know organic is is cold uh email marketing right now
0: well so that's the, that's the kind of business side of rails devs, but the developer side, how do you reach these people like yeah, yeah. That's
1: yeah. kind of exactly how I reach the developers on the Turbo Native side. It's it's all building in public. It's having the open source library. A lot of where I've seen developers come from is like, I'll post a question on, on Twitter and be like, hey, I don't know how to do this in Rails. Like, here's some code. And I'll link to the Rails devs repo, like a pull request or, or code. And it's like, it's very innocent because I'm posting to the code that I'm talking about it just so happens to be in the repo that I want someone to sign up for.
0: <laughs> ah, so
1: it. It, it's this nice little feedback loop where I ask for feedback is genuine questions. I get someone to you know help me with a reply or, or tell me that I'm being silly and I should use this other gem or whatever. They sometimes submit a pull request, which is even better. I close that out. They now know, are aware of Rails devs. People have seen that conversation happen in public. Maybe someone learned something from it. Maybe now someone knows to use this gem instead of doing what I was trying to do. And in the future, that's documented for everyone on the repo. The best way that I've seen this work is having issues on the GitHub repo that are open for new contributors. This gets new people into the platform, it gets new contributors to open source software, and then when it gets merged, I can shout them out on Twitter with a link to their pull request and say thank you, which has actually gotten someone a job before. it's like this really cool full cycle loop where I'm able to, you know, amplify developer work while getting, quote, free labor from them that they were totally willing to to offer for me and free exposure. I mean, it, it ch- just checks all the boxes. It really That's does. That's pretty really
0: cool. Yeah, that, that is also such a clear brand that you're building around the business and yourself. Like you're you're almost quite literally a job creator. Like even you know if you if you take the the job away from this, it's still true. I like guess it's really really cool to to see like all your efforts aiming at empowering software developers to find work or to make things that make them find work. That's just really nice, and I think it comes around to you too. I, I've seen a lot of very positive testimonials out there about this the, the platform the process how people got jobs like how you helped have you have you been like actively looking for these but like, i'm i'm also always looking for testimonials right as a creator that's the thing that that gives us credibility are you using any particular tools or particular process to capture these and then use it again to find more people
1: yeah so i'm using i'm collecting all the testimonials through testimonial.to mm. which uh Dude, you had Damon on oh, yeah. just recently, number, right? Number
0: two, interview number two. <laughs> yeah, yeah Damon I just that's, finished that's listening nice. to
1: that. Uh, so I use his tool, which I love. It's a great way to just send a link and someone can do a video or a text testimonial right there. And it's all beautiful and like this wall of love that you can embed on your website. Or I, I copy paste because I'm, I'm finicky with my included JavaScripts. I like to have everything the way I want it, but the website still works great in terms of collecting. And my approach for collecting it is that If I know that someone got a job or I am aware that someone maybe said on their profile they're no longer looking or it's been a while since they had contact with someone, I'll reach out and say, hey, you know, how are things going? Keep me updated. Anything exciting going on? It's not a cold email, but it is a manually copy and pasted generated email with some tweaking going on. And it's a pretty good, I got a pretty good success rate on responses on that. If someone says they get hired, boom, where can I send you some, some stickers, a, a mug, A handwritten thank you card and and, oh and if you're up for it, can you write a testimonial for me? Like I'm gonna send you all this awesome stuff in a really cool box. It'd be great if you could just write a sentence or two about how you found your experience with Rails Devs. And that's worked really well. People are really excited to to share. I mean, what better achievement do you have than getting like your next job? It's a huge upgrade, usually, a huge milestone. They want to spread the love, they want to share where they found it, they want to help other people and and those testimonials really reflect that and they then share their testimonial on their own twitter and you know just like this loop keeps keeps happening and happening it's great
0: the the feedback loops of building in public and empowering people in public they are just incredible like they make things happen that you could not imagine if you were just sitting there hiding from public the, the public world and doing your thing what you're doing is wonderful it's amazing i am yeah, my mind is, has been regularly blown over the last hour <laughs> about like how thoughtful you are in how you engage with the community, how you focus on the people with the least power in these very complicated job dynamics, how you make, make absolutely sure that they get the best deal possible while still empowering also the companies that choose to work with you, how you teach people to do stuff. That to to sell to other companies it's just wonderful man that, that's so cool i'm just so happy that you're on and, and sharing all these nuggets where can people go to find out more about you and your wonderful build and public work
1: yes yeah, so most of my content is published on twitter i'm joe mazelotti there'll be a link in the show notes i blog on mazelotti.com uh that's been a little less frequently but Starting very soon, that will change. I have some surprises coming for the new year. (laughs) And then I also have a newsletter there that you can subscribe that's only monthly. So it's pretty light, rounds up a bunch of links about Hotwire and what I'm working on.
0: Very cool. Thank you so much for sharing all your insights here today. That was really, really cool.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate it, Arvid. This has been a blast. Uh, I've been really looking forward to this like all week, especially after two reschedulings. (laughs) So (laughs) thank you for dealing with that. Thank you for having me on. And I I can't wait to listen to this. Uh, when it comes out.
0: Absolutely. Thanks so much. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening to the of Founder. You can find me on Twitter at avitzkahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. You'll find my Twitter course and my books there as well. And if you want to support me and the show, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, get the podcast in your podcast player of choice and leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. Any of this will really help the show. So thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.